Hello, and welcome to the Wage on Taylor podcast. This selection is actually a bonus selection and is not a, a normal episode. Um, I was recently on the campaign trail and did a speech um, while attending a Constitution Day event. And uh, my wife recommended that I give it to you guys here so that those who listen to the podcast can, uh, can hear it. So with that, um, enjoy. And thanks once again for listening. Here at Help Restore Sanity to Washington State. Next up is Lonnie Ray Williams, candidate for Washington State Representative, District 7, Position 1. And on Constitutional Day, Lonnie's going to talk to us about the United States Constitution. All right, thank you very much. Um, first off, I've had about two months of condensing all my thoughts into two-minute sound bites for various forums and everything, and it's a little bit weird to have a, an open mic and an open conversation. So I thought I'd do what, what I did when I started doing this, and that's talking about our Constitution and our history, and looking at our Constitution in a historical context. And today, way back in... 1787 is when our founding fathers decided to throw off our first government and adopt this new government. And the reason I phrase it by, like that is because a lot of people are like, well, that's not what I heard in history. history Here at Help Restore Sanity to Washington State, next up is Lonnie Gray Williams, candidate for Washington State Representative here at Help Restore Sanity to Washington State. Next up is Lonnie Gray Williams, candidate for Washington State Representative, District 7, Position 1. And on Constitutional Day, Lonnie's going to talk to us about the United States Constitution. All right, thank you very much. Um, First off, I've had about two months of condensing all my thoughts into two-minute sound bites for various forums and everything, and it's a little bit weird to have a, an open mic and an open conversation. So I thought I'd do what, what I did when I started doing this, and that's talking about our Constitution and our history, and looking at our Constitution in a historical context. And today, way back in 1787, is when our founding fathers decided to throw off our first government and adopt this new government. And the reason I phrase it by, like that is because a lot of people are like, well, that's not what I heard in history. History talks about we had this caretaker government and we just, you know, was naturally it was understood we were going to go this way. A little bit more complicated than that, actually. We had a, a government that was understood to be forever. The Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union which was our first constitution, was it meant to exactly be that. A, a confederation of loose states where states had all the power, the states had all the authority, and they were just bound together as a common brotherhood to preserve liberty. And that's what our first government was. And that's how it existed for a long period of time. But what happened is after the war was winding down, some individuals within our government decided, well, this is too hard. This is too hard because we have to get all these people together to get to pass things, and we have 
different states that want to do different things and we need a stronger central government. And so there was this huge intellectual argument back at the time, well gee, do we need a strong central government because that might eventually morph into the same type of government that we had that we just threw off? Or do we need to just strengthen this, this smaller government and give it a little bit more protections? And that was the argument that continued and went on back and forth between our founding fathers. Prior to this, you didn't have any political parties. Our founding fathers loathed political parties. Matter of fact, if you actually look at George Washington's farewell address, he speaks specifically to parties and says that the danger of this is eventually you will have a system to where the party is controlling the power and not the people. And I talk about these things in the context of our Constitution because I want everybody to understand what our Constitution was supposed to do when we enacted it. There was a big argument at the time between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, which gave birth to our political parties, about the role of government, the proper role of government. And the Anti-Federalists did not want that strong government, the Federalists wanted a strong government. And what they ended up doing to compromise, to come together to form a new government, was to say, well, okay, we'll give you this new government, but we want protections for these civil rights that we fought so hard against England for. And so what they agreed upon was a set of things which we know them as our Bill of Rights, those are the first ten amendments. And there was a bitter argument between a lot of the founding fathers who said, well, you know what, we want these rights to be central focus of the Constitution and everything else to come after. And some of the founding fathers said, no, we need the Constitution to set up the foundation of the government and add these amendments, these first amendments, to protect the rights. That's the version that we ended up getting, but it's important to understand the context of what was going on at the time and what the Constitution was supposed to do. The Constitution was supposed to set up the framework of the government that we agree on. And this was under the pretext of, at the time, everybody understood, and you hear this saying, well, we hold these truths to be self-evident. What that meant is just about everybody had enough common sense back then to understand that, look, all power comes from the people, we give it to government. That's also like saying back then they understood that a man was a man and a woman was a woman based on their DNA and based on those sort of things. These are traditions that nobody questioned back then, they called it common sense. And so they didn't write down a lot of things, they said, well, everybody knows that a parent has the right to raise their children and government can't get involved with that. So we don't really have to write that down, right? Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to put a set of protections in place. And what those protections are supposed to do is, if government asserts this power that everyone already knows that they don't really have the power to do, then these amendments give them the right and lock in their rights to stand up for themselves. Because this is how we did it. As founding fathers, this is how we earned our liberty and our independence. This is what we did. And if you understand your history, you can look at that Constitution and say, you're exactly right. What are some of the things that are in the Constitution? One, we have the right to speak. We have the right to say what we want to say, to think what we want to say. But how, if you look at lately, they have these things called hate speech. Well, look back then, it didn't matter. You had the right to hate people if you wanted to. Was it despicable? Certainly it was. But people have the right to think and feel how they do. Whenever you legislate away a right and say this is what you must do, then you're 
admitting that, or giving government power that it really doesn't have the authority to do. Hate speech sounds good, let's protect against hate speech. We don't want people to hate. But just like looking at three things through a political lens, if your, legis your morality is legislated and you are told that you have to give to anyone who comes up and panhandles you $5, anytime you give somebody $5 out of the goodness of your heart, you get no credit for that because your morality is legislated. The same thing happens in our government. The same thing happens when we talk about our freedom of speech. We have freedom of speech unless you hate. That's not freedom of speech. Now, it doesn't mean that we support the hater or that we embrace the hater. It means that they have the right to hate because everyone has the right to be stupid in the world. But whenever you have a small group of people who make that right look like it's stupid to have, then you have somebody saying, well, we should, we should protect some people. And we should create some maybe safe spaces so we don't interfere with that. And now, as we're looking at things through this lens, we can start to see over the past 10, 20 years how they've done this with all of our rights. We have the freedom to assemble. Absolute rights. These, these first 10 amendments are absolute. But yet, did we have the freedom to assemble if you didn't wear a mask? Did you have the freedom to assemble if you didn't put this in your body? Did we have the freedom of us to assembly, it, you know, based on somebody's definition of what an emergency is? And what did we do? Some of us rallied, some of us stood up, but by and large, what did the majority of the population do? Okay, no problem. They gave away that right to assemble. If you allow somebody to put a stop into that constitutional right, even for one purpose, then you're saying it's okay under some other purpose, depending on whatever that person defines is a reason to put a stop to that right. Freedom of assembly is one of the most powerful rights that we have. That is what started our whole movement towards independence. Because what we had in the early 1760s was a situation where a government said, these are the things that you can buy, Here's who you must buy them from. Here are the things that you can make. And here's who you can sell them to. In this country, we had vast amounts of, of natural resources. So we were sending massive amounts of timber to Great Britain, but we weren't allowed to make our own rocking chairs and our own furniture. They had to be made over there and sent back. We had vast amounts of pig iron and things like that that we could smelt down to raw forms, but we weren't allowed to refine them and make them into nails. They had to be made in England. So this way, this government had this control over the entire economy. Sound familiar? That's kind of what's going on now. Where we're allowed to buy things, who we're allowed to buy them from. And when the colonists had accepted this for a long period of time, they didn't know anything else because they could get super cheap stuff from England. They could get super cheap clothes. They couldn't afford to make these clothes themselves for the prices they were getting these from. But lo and behold, after a long period of time and a lot of wars, what did England do? They had all this debt. And they said, we have to pay for all these wars. So they turned around and they taxed all the colonists. Unbelievable amounts of tax. And so much so that these colonists couldn't afford to live. They couldn't afford to, well, if they had gasoline, they wouldn't be able to afford it in their vehicles. It's the same type of thing. They couldn't afford to feed their, their mules 
their wagons. They couldn't afford to repair the tires of their wagon. They couldn't afford to do some of these things. Basic living expenses became insurmountable for the average person. So what did they do? They became rum runners, smugglers, people who bartered for things, because that's what they had to do to survive. It, it became so much that the English passed so many tyrannical laws that pretty much everybody in the whole colonies could be accused of a felony, and they'd be right. They could get shaken down. And, and, and who were these people that they were shaken down in? Well, these guys in nice shiny uniforms with firearms, military. This is what happened back then. This is why these amendments are in our Constitution. Why is it important that we have the right to bear arms? To protect ourselves. From who? From, from wolves? From bad guys? Certainly. The number one reason? Protect yourself from the government. Because back then, the militia was everybody who is not a government official. Every male, specifically back then, who was not a government official was in the militia. And you were all required to have a musket, so many rounds of shot, and so much powder in your home, in your person. Now the reason was pretty practical. Back then you had natives that you were either on good terms with or bad terms with. You had other colonies that you were on good terms with and bad terms with. It was common for colonies to have a lot of disputes prior to the Revolutionary War that brought a lot of people together. Because they were Dutch colonies, they were Puritan colonies, they were this, they were that and they had natural disagreements. So for someone to say, hey, we are the United States of America, we've always agreed. You don't understand our history, we've always disagreed. But we've come together on the certain things that we do agree with, and that is that we have the right to raise our own families in our own ways, in our own traditions, and pass these things on to our children. That's what we came here for in the first place. So keep that in mind with what is the Constitution for? To preserve your rights and responsibilities and your freedoms to do that. So when someone says, well, the Second Amendment was never meant to against the government, that's all about these organized militias, they're like they don't understand their history. They don't teach it anymore. And here's the interesting thing about education. When we looked at what coalesced the entire movement during the revolution and during that period of time, what, what caused them to gain their freedom? What was the one thing that was more important than anything else during that movement. Literacy. The ability to read and write. With the increase in the amount of people who could read and write came the increase of liberty and freedom. At the beginning of the Revolutionary War, 60% of women could read and write. By 1800, 100%. Same thing with men. The beginning of the revolution, about 70-80% of men could read and write. By the 1800s, beginning of 1800, everybody knew how to read and write. Say, so, well, what about slaves, right? They, they, they certainly didn't know how to read and write. No, that's wrong. Back then, there was a prevailing thought that anyone you had under your care, whether it be your children, slaves, anything else like that, you had a divine duty to educate them the best that you did into your ability, to give them God, to give them the ability to read the Holy Scriptures themselves, to find out and come to that personal relationship. 
to understand that this is the moral law that we base our, our foundation on, to clothe people properly, to take care of people properly, to treat people properly, because this was how people lived. So to under, you know, for, for everyone to say how terrible things were, absolutely, there was a lot of terrible things that happened back then, but we don't understand how they live because we're not in their mindset, because we haven't studied it. But when you get back and you start to study these people, you understand that they wanted the same essential things that you and I do. They want to live their lives, and they set up these amendments, and these, this constitution to protect that. Nowadays, the whitewashed version of history is a little bit different. There was a bunch of guys who got together, they were unhappy about tea, they threw a bunch of it in the, in the, in the harbor, they shot at each other a couple of times, and then the English went home, and then we threw off that old government, and we come together, and we created a new government, and the whole world has been happy under this, this system since. That's the whitewashed version of history. If we just go with that, the Constitution means nothing. Why those words were there? Why did they choose those specific rights? Understanding that the Bill of Rights is the pin on a hand grenade, if you will. When things get out of control, this is the one thing that you have left. You have the right to speak, which is the most empowerful thing that you do. You have the right to your own faith, which is the most powerful thing that you can have to carry you forward. You have the right to get together with your neighbor and say, hey, did you give away your rights? No, you, no, I didn't either. This isn't right. We should, we should remind them that we're in charge. You've got the right to do that. And if all else fails, and they still don't listen to you, you've got the right to defend yourselves when they come against you. This is the core of our Constitution. All powers not duly delegated in the Constitution are relegated to you and the powers that you give to the state. Full stop. That's right in the beginning. Why is that important? Well, because our founding fathers wanted to remind us that all power, all political power, resides within the people. What does that mean? Well, that means that all political power comes from you, you, and you, all of us together. So, if you don't have the right power, authority, to tell your neighbor to sit down, shut up, put a mask on, put something into your body, buy this product, don't buy this product, and by the way, give me 10% of, of everything you make, and I'll go give it to, to somebody who, who I feel needs it. Then our government doesn't have that power. Because we cannot give our government a power that we do not have. And they cannot take a power that we cannot give. So anything above that litmus test well, you can't buy a gasoline vehicle. Really? Um, let me look at the Constitution. No. It's not there. I can't tell you, you own a trucking business. You know what? By 2035, I'm done with these diesel hoggers. I want you to have all hydrogen vehicles. Well, then where does our government get that right if I don't have the right to tell you guys to do that? This is what our Constitution is. It is the lens to which we must view all laws. If it does not pass the test of the Constitution, it's unconstitutional. 
And the Supreme Court has already decided that any law that is unconstitutional is null and void. Well, that was made pretty easy for us. So all of these laws that are supposed to be laws really have no legal authority, but yet people, we the people, continue to complain about how terrible things are. But yet we don't realize that all we have to do is get our neighbors to come together and stand up and say, no. Matter of fact, come 2035, we are taking this pledge that we're all going to go buy the dirtiest, smelliest diesel B vehicle we can because we're going to say no. Is that the right thing to do? I don't know. But what form does protest come in? Whatever the community decides. Willful disobedience of tyranny is an obligation. Because if we just automatically say, well, yeah, it's tyrannical, but it's the devil, what do you do? You're guilty. You're guilty of giving up your rights. You're guilty of, of not standing up to that government. When that government, that same government, that you, well, it's the lesser of two evils, I picked this guy. Great, that guy goes on and he declares war as part of the Congress that declares war on another nation, and they didn't deserve it. You own that. You're responsible because we participated time and time again in electing people that don't deserve the vote. Write somebody in. Talk to your neighbor and say, look, I'm going to write you in and I'm going to get all my friends to write you in. So it's in your best interest to go ahead and sign up as a write-in and we're going to throw some money behind you because you'd be much better than the quacks that are running right now. And look, if you get 500 votes, so what? That's 500 votes that sends a message to whatever party that says, look, your candidate sucked. And if you give us somebody better, you'll get 500 votes out of the deal. We might say that 500 votes isn't that much. That's enough to swing an election. We've seen how many presidential elections decided on much less of a margin that they can, you know, shut down some machines and come up with a few hundred votes here and there. 500 votes can change the world. It only takes one vote to change the world. If you're the one guy that decides to stand up and write somebody else in, and you're pretty proud of that, the whole election, I'm going to write so-and-so in, I'm going to write so-and-so in. And all of a sudden, about three or four other people start doing and saying the same thing. And the general election comes along, and lo and behold, they get written in. Was it because you convinced two or three people? Partially. But you believed in it and you kept working on it. And those two or three people saw that you believed in this candidate enough to look into them. And so they started talking about it. And Joe, the guy who ended up getting thrown in about halfway through it, he's like, hey, you running? Nah. Hey, you running? Nah. Hey, you running? Wait a minute. That's a third different guy I've been talking to. Maybe I should. Because these guys both suck. And I could at least do a better job than them. And I know three people who's going to vote for me. And so they put their name on. And lo and behold, Joe, the farmer, wins. He ends up being a representative who sits on the agriculture committee. Because right now, the politicians are running the agriculture committee don't own farms. So, wouldn't it be better if we had people in our own government over the committees who are actually performing tasks like running farms? 
be nice if we had legislators who were maybe former police officers deciding policy that makes it easier for police officers to do their work instead of civil rights attorneys who spend their entire pol policies and lives working against police officers. So we have the wrong people in government doing the wrong things. And we keep on year after year, we've all been guilty of it, I certainly have been. Well, that's a Republican, they're an incumbent, things aren't that bad, there they go, there's my vote. I didn't look at it until the day before, and I'm looking at the voters' guide going, well, this guy wrote this way, this guy wrote this guy, okay, that's it. That's all my vote was worth that year. I've done that, guilty. But when we think of things through our constitutional lens, that defines our voting systems, our rights, and our responsibilities, <coughs> it makes it a little bit more real. Those rights are on the line. And instead of asking, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? What are the questions we should probably be asking? Hey, where are you at on this Constitution thing? What does it mean to you? What lens do you look at this from? Is it some old stuffy document that, yeah, it's there, but we don't really talk too much about it anymore? Is that the guy that you want, or gal, that you want supporting your rights? But we've done it. We, we talk about all these other issues. Oh, crime is up. I wanted to talk about the guy about crime. And so we've talked about, we've voted in these people. Yeah, I'm going to be tough on crime. Are you? How? Well, I'm going to send the bad guys to jail. Okay, you're my person. But you get in there, and all of a sudden there's these terrible policies, terrible regulations, and they got lawsuits against the sheriff's department. You're like, wow, what happened? Oh, he didn't know his constitution. But he was going to be tough on crime. That's the disconnect. And that is time and time again why we need to turn back to our Constitution. What is our role? Well, let me tell you exactly how this happened in the Founding Fathers version. We talked about, when I started this up, how they only had the option to buy and sell in certain avenues. And what they decided is they decided to get together, freedom of association. And they said, hey, we don't like this, freedom of speech. And they said, hey, we're going to get together and we're going to decide not to buy tea. That's cool. What are we going to do if they come against us? Well, we got our firearms. <laughs> That's the Second Amendment. And what did they do? They protested. They protested against tax. They refused to buy things. And they got together under these associations of people and merchants. And they said, we all agree we're not buying English stuff. Okay, great. What are we going to do if somebody does? We're going to hand this... This, this piece of paper right here, and we're going to staple it to the door, nail it to the door, and they say, they suck, because they buy English stuff. Well, that sounds pretty serious. Yeah, it is. Might offend them. Yeah, but mine. But that's what they did. And that turned into your freedoms. Because a bunch of guys got together and said, we're not taking this anymore. And what held them together? Faith. First Amendment. The ability to speak to each other, First Amendment. The ability to associate together, First Amendment. Why are these all in the first? Because they're the most important. And then what comes second? If they don't let you do all of those, you got the right to defend yourself. They wanted to make sure that that was separate. That's not the first thing we go to. We must do everything in our power to avoid this. So did our founding fathers. They didn't just pick up the rifles and say, hey, let's go shoot people. No, absolutely not. Nor should we, nor should we promote that. 
We don't believe in political violence. That's why we're standing for our Constitution now. We do not believe in people that want to pick up a big club and beat somebody over the head and say, you do it this way. That's the type of government we already have. Why would we want to be the same? We want to be like our founding fathers. We want to understand what this Constitution means. And for that, you have to read it. And it's full of big words. And you got to read it a lot to start to kind of understand it. And then you got to understand, well, why would they use all these words like this? Because they mean something. And you got to open your mind and start to understand what else was going on during that period of time. How did they feel about their relationship with a higher power? Why did they write this in certain ways? So you start to read their journals. You start to read how they talked to each other, how they respected each other, how their word was their bond. You start to discover the qualities that they were. They're like, hey, these guys are pretty good, cool. They're good people. What did they give us this constitution? They gave you the key to hold on to your liberty. Every one of these founding fathers had skin in the game. They went up against the most powerful government in the world. The most powerful military in the world. And they said, um, we're not going to buy your tea. And that's how it started. We're not going to buy your this. You know what they essentially said is, I'm not going to take the jab. I'm not going to put the mask on. This is a bridge too far. This tea is too expensive. I like my tea, forget it. I'll have Juan Valdez pick some coffee and I'll start drinking that. That's why Americans drink more coffee nowadays. Sure, Juan wasn't allowed back then, but you get the point. The point is, is that they came up with other solutions. They decided, no more, we can do better on ourselves. You have women who had never made any clothes in their lives going out and buying spinning wheels and making their own fabric for the entire nation. Why? Because we had no factories here. They were all in England. And when we said, we're not going to buy your tea, we didn't just say that. We said, we're not going to buy your clothes either. So it became fashionable to have ratty, homemade clothes that you know was probably the first dress this person had ever sewn. That became fashionable. Because that meant that that was made by a patriot who was learning a trade to clothe the nation. We all of a sudden started getting founders. We didn't make our first brass cannon, excuse me, bronze cannon until about midway through the Revolutionary War because we didn't know how. We had to buy cannons from France. How did we all of a sudden become one of the most powerful industrialized nations on earth only to hand that away? Out of necessity. We have the capacity to do these things if we listen to our constitution, it allows us to have freedom to live our lives. So whenever you say it's Constitution Day, understand that this wasn't our first government, it is the government we have now. That's important. And this Constitution was there to protect a certain amount of rights and give power to government to help make it a little bit easier to do that. But if you listen to our founding fathers, maybe they were going to bridge too far. Maybe big government's still not supposed to be that big. It's okay to have these conversations, and we should have these conversations about what the Constitution means, what does it pr protect, and does, it, does our government still honor those protections? And if the answer is no, fire them. They're your public servant. 
They are not entitled to rule over us. We got rid of kings and emperors a long time ago. And while everyone is, is doting about the queen just died and this and that, like, well, let's talk about Trump and Biden for a little bit first. Because those are more important to us. Everything else is just a distraction. Let's talk about our real problems. We are currently in the greatest food crisis of our lifetimes. And it's just getting started. Now, whether it be on purpose or whether it be on accident, I'm not going to get into that right now. The bottom line is it's happening. And you're, you'll hear some elected officials say, hey, food crisis, have a nice day. Is that leadership? We don't hear that. An elected official's job, who actually is there to represent the people, should say, okay, look, here's the problem. Y'all are going to be out of food this winter. I need you to stock up. Matter of fact, and I've been saying this the whole campaign trail and for years, start a garden. Get some chickens. Do what you can to be a little bit more self-sufficient. If you can only do herbs in a, in a window, great, do herbs. That's something. Every head of lettuce that you plant and grow is one less that you have to bring in on a truck. Every chicken that lays an egg is one less that you have to get from somewhere else. And lo and behold, you might actually learn something about the cycles of life and become a little bit more self-sufficient and a little bit more respectful about where things come from. And then, if we as a community do this, we have community gardens, victory gardens, whatever you want to call them, we come together and we get to know our neighbors. When we get to know our neighbors, we work to our neighbors, we start learning things that, hey, you know how to grow sunflowers? I suck at those, but I grow wheat. Great. Together, you have a gardening community. And what happens is when things get tough, or times get tough, instead of shooting at each other and barring your windows and saying, well, I'm going to outlast them because I got more food and we'll see who wins, you're already working together. You're already working past your problems. You're, you're doing what's called being an American. And that's the way things were like this until they locked us up in our homes for a couple of years and said, don't talk to anyone. Don't go outside. Don't go shopping unless it's at Walmart where everybody goes and then it's okay. It's perfectly safe there. But, but Bob's a little grocery mart, no, we're going to shut him down for about six months and we'll see if he survives. Then maybe you can shop there if we allow trucks to go drop off things. But we've accepted this in our lives. And Constitution Day comes around, it's like, yay, thanks for the Constitution. It's kind of like Independence Day on the 4th of July. Yay, it's Independence Day, here's my flag, here's my fireworks, here's my bikini, here's my beer, thanks, see you next year. Let's talk about what the Constitution was originally about. Have these conversations with your neighbors. What does the Constitution mean to you? I don't know. Well, let's, let's focus on one amendment here. Just get to know one amendment, your favorite one, read it. What does this mean to you? Oh, I never heard it put that way. Well, yeah, that's what it says. That's a conversation we all need to start having with our neighbors. If we can't have a, have a conversation about the Constitution with our neighbors, what good is celebrating Constitution Day? Have we come so far apart as a country to not be able to have a conversation about the Constitution? Pick one amendment, any one, and just do that. Focus on that. What does it mean? Learn it. Why did they put this here? Know it back and forth. Know enough to start that spark of conversation. That way we talk to Bob, like, hey, you like to run your mouth about you, you're exercising that freedom of speech. <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? Well, it means you have the right to say that. 
Really, someone said that I need to watch what I say because I might offend somebody. Oh, don't worry about that. Here, let me talk about this First Amendment to you and what it means to you in your life. Nobody has the power to tell you to, to say that. Empower the individuals we run across in our life with their rights. So next year, when Constitution Day comes around, you have 15 different moments throughout one year that you can point to in your mind and say, wow, I talked to this guy about freedom of religion. I thought he was going to take my head off. And I said, oh, boy, you're still exercising that freedom of speech. And he turned around on me and he said, wow, tell me more about this. And a half hour later, we were friends because we started talking about the Constitution. So this year, as you go forward in all the chaos and all the challenge that we have in our lives, please read the Constitution. Learn more about the Constitution. Pick one amendment that you're willing to die for, because it means that much to you. Because our founding fathers were willing to die for all of them. And if you can take that one amendment that's precious to you, that's passionate to you, that you can explain to anybody and say, this is what this means and this is the hill I'm ready to die on. You're going to wake that person up. Well, I thought that we didn't have... No, no, no. You listen. This is the Constitution. This is the supreme being thing right here. There's nothing more powerful in the Constitution as far as what our Supreme Court justices say, so let's listen to them. We must take this role on in our own lives. For too long we've been waiting for a savior. Waiting for a Donald Trump to fix everything for us. Waiting for a whatever. Every election, there's always somebody we're trying to put that hope on that they're going to change everything for the better because it just sucks. I got bad news for you. That's not going to happen. It's your job. Yours, yours, mine, ours. Donald Trump did nothing other than wake us all up to our own obligations. He represents what happens when you stand against the machine. They will come after you. They will label you. They will not let you participate, even if you're a Donald Trump. But stand you must. Because if you don't, you're just saying slap the cuffs on and, and I'm already a slave. We only have one choice. To stand or not. Stand up for the Constitution. You know, it's really odd, before, <laughs> moments before I filed to run, everybody loved what I had to say about the pamphlet, the Constitution, liberty, freedom, but all of a sudden I run, oh, he's a constitutional terrorist. Overnight, perceptions change, because you stand publicly on what you believe. And if we look and see everybody else, how much pressure they take and squirm away from we are like, no, no thanks, that's not for me. Do you see what they did with the Donald? Uh-uh-uh. They win. If you want to stand up, if you're, if you're a Donald Trump fan, and you want to stand up for him, stand up for yourself. Make it harder for all those FBI agents. I'm going to talk about the Constitution today, and I'm going to do it in a public way to make sure the FBI knows that I'm talking about the Constitution. And you do it, and you do it, and you do it. Because there's not enough agents in the world to track down all us constitutional terrorists if we start standing up for what's right. But if not one of us does, because, oof, I don't want that happening to me. See those people in the January 6th cells? Drop them like flies. 
If you do nothing, they will rot there. And their peaceful stroll on January 6th will mean nothing. The guards that beat them, these government individuals that have stripped them and robbed them of their rights, that means if we do nothing, if we do not confront these evils in our lifetime, we consent. I don't know about you, I will not comply. I, I served in the military, I did time in the military, and, and when I got out, I kind of figured, look, I did my time, that means I can do what I want, leave me alone. It was a naive opinion, and that led my life for a long period of time. My mission is never over. Your mission is never over. We are never absolved of our responsibility to stand up for liberty. Not one day. And if we've taken a break and we decided that's it, we're done, you're not doing your job. And we deserve the government we get. And if we know all those friends and all those individuals who, well, I don't want to get involved in politics because it's too dirty and it's too ugly, we need to wake them up. If you don't, you suck. Because you're not doing your job to stand up for your rights and it makes it a lot harder for me to stand up for you. I need you to stand up for yourselves. I'll hold your hand. We'll go to rallies together. We'll go to the meetings I know of. We're going to meet people. You're not in this alone. But I need you to stand up. Yeah, but I got kids and I got soccer practice and I got this and I got that. And I was like, yeah, you'll have none of it if you don't stand. So what is Constitution Day to you now? I think it might mean a little bit more to some of you. I think it might mean a little bit more now that you understand it through a historical lens. It's much more than just a document. It has a story, it has a meaning, and it protects. And it's, it's there as your tool and your guide to your own personal individual freedom. And I encourage each and every one of you, this time next year, I want you all to at least have one story, one story, but where you talked about one amendment to somebody, and you introduce them to the Constitution that rules their lives. Please, if you do nothing else, do that, you'll change the world. You absolutely will change the world. And that's all it takes. And with that, any questions? Lonnie Ray Williams, candidate for Washington State Representative, District 7, Position 1.